0: Thank you. potential and possibility discussions with fascinating people, designing a better tomorrow for all of us. I'm your host, Ira Pastor. Welcome everybody again to another episode of our show, bringing you another really fascinating guest today, uh, involved in creating a better tomorrow. Uh, today we have the honor of being joined by Julie Lenzer, who uh, currently serves as chief innovation officer, uh, at the advanced regenerative manufacturing Institute, or ARMI and biofab USA. Uh, And ARMI is one of the uh, the 14 institutes uh, within the uh, Manufacturing USA Network, uh, which is a a member-driven nonprofit organization, uh, and their mission is ultimately make practical uh, the large-scale manufacturing uh, of bioengineered tissues and tissue-related technologies, BioFab USA, Uh, was created by ARMI to establish the lead uh, to uh, make progress in large-scale manufacturing of these engineered tissues for regenerative medicine research, ultimately uh, taking a lot of these foundational breakthroughs that we've been seeing over the years uh, into larger scale potential for life-changing possibilities. Uh, Prior to this role uh, Julie served as the commissioner uh, of the Maryland Economic Development Commission, as well as chief innovation officer uh, at University of Maryland, uh, fostering and supporting their innovation, entrepreneurship and technology commercialization enterprise there, including development of the uh, our university's research park, their discovery district, uh, the greater college park initiative. Uh, she was also involved in promoting and facilitating uh, university-wide collaboration to launch startup ventures based on the uh, university's intellectual property, uh, supporting the entrepreneurs, small business across uh, mixed augmented and virtual reality innovation center, the Maryland Small Business Development Center, and the Techport Incubator in St. Mary's County. Uh, prior to that role... Uh, Julie led the Office of Innovation and Entrepreneurship within the U.S. Department of Commerce's uh, Economic Development Administration. There, she helped drive programs and policies uh, to support the various innovative economic development initiatives. And prior to that, she was the Executive Director of Maryland Center for Entrepreneurship, uh, co-chair of Startup Maryland, as well as co-founder and former CEO of Path Forward Center for Innovation and Entrepreneurship, which is a a nonprofit that helped women uh, expand economic opportunity by starting and building growth-oriented businesses. Uh, Julie has her undergraduate degree in computer science from uh, Texas A&M. Uh, she has a master's in machine learning from University of Maryland. We have a lot of exciting things to talk to her about today. Uh, Julie Lenzer, thank you so much for taking time to come on the show. Uh,
1: th- thank you. Boy, that's exhausting listening to that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it was long. <laughs> No, no, no. It's, it, it's, it's really a new background. Uh, and I really, you know, I wanted to lay the groundwork uh, for everything we're going to be getting into, uh, just you know, sort of showing everything you've done. But, you know, I, I would, uh, Julia, I'd love to start off uh, really by, um, by handing you the floor for a little bit. I, I, I really enjoy your, uh, your mission statement now on your LinkedIn page where it basically says, you know, you're, you're focused on unleashing high-tech innovations to disrupt industry, save lives, and make the world a better place you're the awesome guest for this show <laughs> with, with that mission statement. Talk a little bit about your background, Jolie. a little bit how you got uh, so interested and passionate about this whole area of innovation, if you were.
1: Yeah. So um, like many people, I credit my love for technology to my high school teacher. Um, you know, I, She got me into computer science and I realized that uh, being a geek was something that I really enjoyed. And uh, I, I think I, I credit it to being able to tell a computer what to do, and it does exactly what you tell it to do, right? And then there's a lot of Creativity involved in that as well, like solving. It's problem solving. It's logic. It's how do you how do you solve a problem and use the computer's resources and things to do it. Um, so you know. So I I found my love of computer science early. Uh, ended up majoring in that in college. Getting to do like fun stuff. Like I took artificial intelligence. I took robotics. I took you know I I love that stuff. That was just an exciting um, thing. And when I graduated from college, I um, you know computer science was at a it was a great point it was a great time to graduate with a degree in computer science but a lot of the jobs were like finance and accounting no no offense to any financial or accountants out there but the computer side of that just at that point in time at that time uh wasn't very exciting and so i knew i wanted to go into either manufacturing or medical and i ended up in manufacturing And that was just a really cool application. You're making devices go, you know, so you can actually see what you're doing. And um, it just kind of evolved from there. So I worked, my first company was Applied Creative Technologies um, after a stint at IBM. I started my career with IBM, but I was in the manufacturing field there. And that's what got me into that. And... um, you know, I hadn't yet, I always knew that I wanted to, my kind of my personal mission statement is always to use my skills and talents to make the world a better place. And that sounds so cheesy and kind of high level, but but that's been, it's, it's really, when that's kind of your guidepost, then you start to look at how can you, how how does what you choose to do or how do the opportunities presented to you align with that, right? Um, and my own company was a great learning experience. It was my first management job, uh, a lot of bumps and bruises, a lot of on-the-job training. Um, and I did that for like 10 years. And it was successful. I, I had Fortune 100 clients. I was customer-funded, uh, I say Procter & Gamble was my sugar daddy because they were our big company, our big customer. We developed software and then we took what we developed and we resold it to other companies, which is a great business model if you can find it. Um, but then about um, you know eight, nine years in, I was like, I'm not so sure this is really the impact that I want to have and where I want to be. It's all, it, it was great learning experience. But um, so I, I was able to to find a one of our business partners, actually, that was interested in what we had done. We were able to, to kind of sell them. They took over our software and everything. And I worked for them for a couple of years, helping to sell it and, and integrate it into their software. And then it was like, okay, what do I do now? And that's when I was approached about teaching a women's entrepreneurship program called Activate. And love the name. And of course, it stands for something totally goofy, Achieving the Commercialization of Technology and Ventures through Applied Training for Entrepreneurs.
0: (laughs) That's a mouthful.
1: (laughs) Right? And it was focused on mid-career women to help them start tech-based companies. And um, that's, I think, when I first got the bite at the power of empowering others. Right. Of kind of taking your your um, your experiences, but then even more importantly, your networks and kind of your the way that you make connections for people and bringing that to bear for lots of people. So I could have gone into another company and had some impact or I could. Empower hundreds of women that went through our program, right? And have them go out and, and, and have an impact. And I think that's really where I got hooked on that kind of a, uh, ecosystem building, being a catalyst, being an enabler. Um, yeah. So that's kind of how it all got started. And technology's always just fascinated me. I love being a geek and part of my also one of my yeah. underlying things has been helping girls and women to see that it's okay to be technical and that's actually mm-hmm. really powerful um uh, even if you don't end up being a programmer um understanding technology and its impact and its potential uh is is really it's a it's something i believe that everyone should should you know dive into at the level at some level
0: absolutely absolutely I, I, I appreciate you uh, you going into all that, Julie, because I think it's a, it's a it's a beautiful mission statement, and and, and again, you know, it's a, uh, it's been a fascinating road you've been on, uh, and you know, it it got me thinking a lot as I was reading about you and and listening to some of your your past presentations, you know. Um, Innovation, obviously, it's a very, very hot topic for our show. Um, I, uh, my background, I you know I came out of the sort of pharmaceutical industry, and I went into sort of the innovation space, and then I got my first taste about 20 years ago or so for just sort of the sheer amount of uh, innovation uh, in the biotech space that was occurring in all the universities around the United States. And it seems like we could solve every problem <laughs> with what was just sitting there, potentially waiting to be funded. And it's interesting because you know manufacturing. Uh, was always sort of this side issue, right, especially in biotech. It was like, yeah, we'll we'll work on this drug development stuff. And sometime down the line, we'll think about, hey, we'll we'll manufacture it in large scale for commercial opportunity. And nowadays, uh, and and we'll get to, you know, my friend Doris Taylor, who I had on the Mm -hmm. show, who was involved with the organization. Um, Some of that's being truncated a bit, right? You know, as as she was saying, if if I want to build some hearts, (laughs) for the for the world you know i i can't build a very small heart today and worry about building a big heart later on i got to figure out how to do it now because that heart's got to work like a heart um as you've sort of taken your time going through some of these industries that you've been involved in from quantum to ai to this whole area of immersive media and now regenerative medicine talk a little bit about how that manufacturing piece has evolved alongside the obviously the need for the core innovation because it is such an important piece that i think sometimes gets overlooked and we'll get into i, I think them.
1: you're ex- i think you're exactly right and and it's funny too again i started my career in manufacturing then kind of got away from it and i find myself back in it and that's actually really exciting i did just sell my steel toed boots so um, I'll, if I have to do that, I'll get some more. But um, the, you know, manufacturing is about scale, and it's about um, and it's about efficiency, and it's about driving down costs. And so, if you think about it, you know, one of the companies we work with, so the the heart is a great example, right? Because it can be a very artisan process where you have phd's with petri dishes and you know kind of working through the process there's a couple problems with that at scale one is consistency right. it's data collection and it's cost because it's very labor intensive and a phd You know, can be a more expensive resource, and so applying technology to that is not about replacing humans. It's about increasing our capability to manufacture this stuff at scale, to manufacture it more consistently, to collect the data. With especially for like hearts and tissues and and other organs that we're working on now, Um, the FDA. This is a new kind of thing that the FDA is looking at, and so. you know not every tissue that comes out at the end you could you couldn't say that they're bioidentical because it's bio right it's it's a living organism and so you have to be able to have really good data through your process to to get the FDA convinced that that this thing is consistent in its manufacture and its process so that we can convince them to approve these to go into humans or um you know and then the the idea of cost i mean if you look at so regenerative has been around, you know, especially like cells and tissues has been around for decades. This is not new technology. Right. But it wasn't until um, the government took a look at what you know, why we had so many early commercial failures in, in, in bringing these products to market. And one of the things that they found, in addition to the regulatory pathways and lack of standards was manufacturing at scale. That's where they were falling down again, because a piece of steel has pretty consistent properties that you that we know about how it reacts to environment, temperature, everything. A human cell and a tissue and a construct and a, you know, we don't know, there's, we probably know, you know, I think 50% would be generous if I say we know 50% about how the human body actually works and cells work, right? There's a lot of stuff we don't know. So, trying to manufacture something consistently in that environment is crucial, right? It's crucial. And, you know, over the last five years at Army, not, the, not the, the non-military one. Yep. Um, you know, they've created, they brought, what they did is they brought, science, they, they brought the science in. So the people who are doing the really cool PhDs with Petri dishes, doing the cellular based research and brought them together with engineers. And that's when you, you know, scientists don't usually, it's not normal for them to be working with engineers. And so we're bringing these two people together to say, hey, look, we wanna help you get this into more patients. Now, the scientists, that's what they want to hear. That's what they're excited about. Um, But in order to do that, we need to apply some technology and collect some data and and help you figure out what are your critical quality attributes of your final product as you go through your clinical trials, what tissues are successful, and back into what were the characteristics of of that process that made those tissues successful and others not. So automation is the the best way to do that. If you tried to do that manually, um, you just couldn't afford it uh, to 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 be into patients and, and a heart's a great example, right? It's yep. um it's not going to be an inexpensive, but um, it's going to revolutionize the way we treat chronic disease and um and we're even even talking to companies that are doing cell based meat products and protein, so fish and meat and chicken, you know, great that we can create. From you know uh, cow cells, we can create uh, a steak that actually tastes and looks and smells like a steak. But at three hundred dollars of the cost to create that steak, yeah, I don't think that's going to fly. That's not solving our food sustainable food sustainability issues. So um, manufacturing is the way, and 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 continued evolutions and innovations in raw materials and in the process, and you know things like that. I mean. You you mentioned Doris Taylor, and she's uh, one of my sheroes for sure. Um, love working with her, um, trying to bring her, help her with the business side of, of manufacturing hearts. Um, but, you know, the and she's been working on hearts for 20 years, and there were some innovations that had to happen for her to be able to move forward, you know, being able to take cells and turn them into stem cells and then turn them into heart cells. That's technology that's taken a couple, you know, that was kind of predicate. It was a predicate innovation that she needed to have happen in order for her to be where she is now. Yep. So it's just Absolutely. so much possibility. I think it's, it's exciting about it.
0: Absolutely. And and, and you're, you know, speaking about some of these, you're clearly, you're really actually ahead of the curve in the sense, you know, I've had a couple guests uh, on the show recently in the last month or so from uh, the White House's uh, Office of Science Technology Policy. We have this uh, National Strategy for Advanced Manufacturing, which is Mm -hmm. umpteen, you know, around the hundreds of pages long, outlining Mm -hmm. every type of manufacturing possibility, bringing these products back to the United States, manufacturing in space and so forth. Take us a little bit into, so Manufacturing USA, this was a few years ago now. Um, you got the Departments of Commerce, Defense and Energy all collaborating. So if you could walk us through, just for the, the audience sake, Manufacturing USA, into Army or ARMI, and then into BioFab USA. Take us a little bit on that structure of sort of what exists today.
1: Sure, sure. So, you know, Manufacturing USA, I, I can't remember the year that it started, but it was out of the National Institutes and Standards and Technology, NIST, yeah. uh, that it was kind of launched. And, and the idea was that we needed to create innovations in different manufacturing spaces. And so there's a network of these institutes that are focused on everything from robotics to materials to 3D printing. Um and uh, and bio biomedical or bio biotech manufacturing we are one that was funded um, it's part of the manufacturing USA network we were funded by the Department of Defense um, and specifically focused on biofab USA is our is our manufacturing USA Center mm-hmm. Institute if you will so focused on as the mission you mentioned about ARMY. And um, it's a membership organization. We're a nonprofit. I think all of these are nonprofits. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're looking to work with industry Primarily and academia to figure out how to remove the barriers to you know or innovate new products and technologies. Both, um, like I said, materials uh, or fabrics. I mean, it's just it's fascinating some of the things that these folks are working on. Mm-hmm. Um, and we all get together and share ideas, you know. Uh, and and one of the things is that these things were not stood up and funded by the government to always be government. You know, we're not a government entity, if you will. We have to figure out how do we get, build sustainability into the model. Now we've been around for five years. We were funded, founded in 2016, yep. funded in 2017. So we're still fairly young, if you will. We're, we're still, I think I consider ourselves a startup. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got about 40 people, 40 staff members, and about 200 members are part of BioFab USA. And a good portion of those Our industry. So, probably 75% of that's industry. And then another, maybe 75% of that is startups or small Mm -hmm. businesses, Um, some of which are researchers out of an institute, out of a, a, you know, higher ed, out of academia. And so, for the past five years, you know, we've been focusing on um, our approach has always been let's create this scalable modular, automated, and closed system for manufacturing cells, tissues, and organ. We call it SMAT, right? Mm-hmm. Scalable that you can take a bio rea- a, a certain size bioreactor out and put in another bioreactor, or that you can daisy chain different you know, um, cell washing to, to do that kind of thing and, and put stem cells in one end and get tissues out of the other. Yep. And we've done that which is really exciting, it's called our Tissue Foundry. Um, and so the idea as a Manufacturing USA is that now we've innovated this once, we we pull in both you know tissue companies, but then also biosensors or bioreactors, but enabling technology, which is a really crucial part of that. Um, even AI machine learning, because we have to look at all the data and figure out what are our critical control parameters. Um, And now what we're trying to, what we are doing is we're working with other types of tissues and cell companies to say, how can we take this this generic platform or this platform and start to make tweaks for different types of products? And so we're really creating an industry um, that hasn't existed before. The tissue engineering, there's been one-offs. And I would say there's, and you you probably know the difference between like a um, cell and gene therapy. And then tissue engineering, you know, cell and gene is you're using cells and, and modifying some genetics and stuff to create therapies in what we're doing. The cells and the tissues are the actual therapy. So I know I kind of went off on a tangent on that. But, um, you no, know, it it, it's interesting because we look at, you know, we're uh, our our manufacturing USA. So we have a network of these folks that we talk about, you know, um, different, different opportunities and challenges that we're facing. Workforce development is a big focus of that because yep. you've got to have an industry of, you know, you've got to have workers, uh, skilled workforce, and it's not always, you know, degree. There's some need for, we'll always have a need for kind of, you know, degreed four-year degree. But now as we're introducing some of these automation technologies, even the quality control, um, that you need non-degreed and technical type biotechnicians, mm-hmm. uh, or quality control technicians. Yep. So, you know, people say, oh, automation is replacing all these people jobs. It's like, Yes and no. I mean, it's changing the nature of the jobs. Yep. And it's also in my, I think it's opening up these jobs to a broader, um, to a, a broader, you know, like our our people who didn't think they could work in some of these advanced industries. And it's opening up opportunities there.
0: Absolutely. You know, it's, Julia, um, really, uh, you have a, an extremely impressive um, leadership leadership. Stakeholder counsel uh, at the organization. Yes. From Dean came in a Segway fame. Martin Rothlet, United Therapeutics. Jim Weinstein from Microsoft. who I had on the show last year. Um, talk about a little about your role as chief innovation officer. Sort of what? Obviously, you know, you got all the um, stem cell and tissue engineering companies out there, and the artificial meat companies, and and other cool things that are going on with cells what what's your day like in terms yeah. of um because you know it's potentially unlimited <laughs> the, the yes. amount of stuff that you can put in the beginning and pop out the end of this line what do you typically do on after you have coffee in the morning and, and talk to
1: yeah <laughs> talk to I your do, team i do i do tend to drink a, i actually drink um caffeinated tea um but i drink a lot Easy. of it because i need lots of caffeine and, and on on days like today when i've got you know go from here to, uh, i have a thing for the girl scouts tonight i'm um, Board chair there, you know, nice. I, I do drink coffee on those days. <laughs> <laughs> but um no no day is is alike, right? Uh, you know, so my role when I joined Army, um, they had been mostly focusing on the technical project side. And that's when they realized how many startups we had that there that needed some some further assistance. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, many of the institutions they come from have good uh, entrepreneurial ecosystems, but it's not necessarily geared towards, you know, tissue engineering or you know, the, the types of things that we're doing. So they recognized that they needed help with commercializing, getting these products to market, and getting these researchers focused and getting them business assistance. right? So generally what I'm doing, and, um, and we're a small company, so there's always that other duties as assigned. Um, when I first got here, my focus was squarely on we had been selected as a finalist for um Uh, EDA's Build Back Better grant, and it was originally 529 applicants that got winnowed down to 60, so I joined after we had made the final 60. And then they were going to, they ended up funding 21 of those 60 uh, for an actual implementation grant. So when I got here on February 1, we had six weeks. There were six weeks left to finish this application (laughs) for what turned out to be a $44 million grant, which Mm -hmm. we were one of the final 21. Nothing like learning what an an institution and our organization does by writing a large grant for them, or Mm -hmm. actually four. We had four of the grants um, that were ours. So... So, you know, so writing the grant, figuring out how to build the ecosystem. So, as I'm figuring out what we have and what we need, I'm also, um, as I'm building the grant, part of the grant was for a BioFab startup lab, which is, you know, right squarely in my sweet spot of building ecosystem for startups. Um, and so right now I'm in the process of launching that and gathering resources to help me with that. So trying to hire someone to run it, looking for, you know, service providers and entrepreneurs and residents, hey, anybody out there, um, you know, want to come, uh, you know, be a, uh kind of a CFO or CEO for hire, you know, I've got to bring those resources to these incredible people like Doris Taylor, right? Who, Who, you know, she's a scientist and she's actually got a really good business sense and she's been working on this. But she doesn't, she wants to focus on the science. That's her that's her strength, right? Um, and she's been spending all her time raising money. It'd be great if she had a business partner that that understood and had the same level of passion as she did that could help her kind of go out and talk to these investors. Um, so she's learning as she goes, and so that's been really um meeting with different investors, meeting with different, you know, um been there, done that. Entrepreneurs that want to come in and, and work with these companies, meeting with our our startup members. You know, I've, I'm I'm building a list of our startup companies uh, who are raising money and trying to connect them with investors. We have everything from pre-seed, Series A. You know, I, I think the within the Army membership, there's there's even companies that have gone public. So it's a it's a nice swath of of companies and um trying to pull them together to help each other. Even creating a roundtable, I'm going to be launching um, a roundtable in the fall, uh, coming up in the next couple of weeks, that we can bring our companies together to help them help each other. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. So there, the, I think that's the thing that I love about this job is there is no two days alike. You know, yep. um, helping to to bring to build out our education and workforce development team because I see. Um, you know, I don't want to be like some of the other industries where you've got all these open jobs, like let's say cybersecurity, right? Tons of open jobs and not enough workforce. Well, we're building the industry. We need to build the workforce at the same time and and hopefully at the same pace that we're building the industry. So that as we're creating jobs, we're also creating the workforce to take those jobs that are qualified to take those jobs. And it's a little bit of a, you know, cart and the horse thing, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be a it's going to be a, a a dance that we're going to have to do to make sure that we pace these things at the right, you know, together. But I think it's really important because the minute you start creating a workforce and there's no jobs for them, well they get disenfranchised, they're not going to come back. Or if you start to build the workforce and you or the the jobs and you don't have the workforce, then people, you know, run into a crunch. Um so, you know, it's I think if it was easy, I'd be bored. And if it was easy anybody could do it. So, um <laughs> I I feel blessed to be around really smart people who are passionate about mission, um, who are teaching me, you know, the, what regenerative medicine is, you know, I'm having to learn, but, you know, you mentioned quantum earlier. I didn't, three years ago, I had no idea what quantum was. I mean, I'd taken physics, sure, but, um, you know, and I was able to, to launch the quantum startup foundry when I was there and, and, and understand enough. Um, to know that there's huge potential in that industry, but it, it's actually a little bit further behind, I would say, where tissue engineering is. I think the exciting thing about where I am now is that this is, this is very close to, to being a reality. And the, the $44 million from from um, U.S. Department of Commerce, EDA, is a big step towards that. Um, and so we're looking to continue to grow that, even, even to the point of uh, raising an investment fund. You know, um, both a philanthropic and a for-profit because the philanthropic we need for early, early stage, right? It's it's hard for a scientist to get funding to do their IND enabling studies, right? Who? Yep. What investor wants to get in that early? <laughs> Not many. Yeah. Um, and especially, you know, it's an interesting uh, economic uh, environment we're in from a venture capital perspective and you know life sciences has seen it's up and down but um I actually think our timing is perfect for this because we're in an economic downswell people are you know going to be pulling back a little bit well we're starting to build something that in you know Doris I think she says you know 5 years she wants to be in humans for her clinical trials right that's a pretty nice cycle to be able to you know 5 years things are going to start to open up after we kind of go through this economic downturn and we'll be perfectly positioned with the the we're helping these companies to kind of get to this point, inflection point, that then when you know venture capital maybe starts flowing a little bit more freely, we'll they'll be ready. Yep. We'll be in the perfect type placement for that.
0: Yeah, definitely sounds like it. Absolutely. And, and you know, just just, just mentioned quantum before, I just wanted to ask because clearly, yeah, as you were saying, um, you know, regenerative medicine. Been around for a little while in terms of some of these tools and stem cell technology, but, you know, the, the process, uh, you know, having everything integrated at this level. And then you, um, you know, you've had experience, as I mentioned in the intro, in as you're in quantum, in machine learning, uh, some of these other, you know, robotics and so forth. Different fields, but you got to make them work together mm-hmm. for artificial intelligence right it's, it's slowly but surely seeped into drug discovery but still kind of what's that what's that been like any interesting stories there you got a uh a regenerative medicine person here and an artificial intelligence person here yeah <laughs> you got yeah. Nice, like uh, any any interesting insights there uh learnings for how i know the, the hot word is convergent uh, nowadays but this is a really convergent thing you're doing
1: it, it it is. I mean, and if you look at the history of innovation, um, and I did a couple semesters teaching a graduate level of innovation entrepreneurship course, right? So I I love digging into some of the um, the history of innovation, and 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 especially within the U.S. economy. And I think actually Peter Drucker's book Innovation and Entrepreneurship was one of my favorite, right? Because you you don't think about some of the stuff, but it it always almost always requires diversity of thought. And perspective, yeah. so you know it's very. And I think it was Einstein that said you can't solve the problem from the same mindset that it was created, mm-hmm. right? You need outside influences, and that's where bringing in somebody who has an you know machine learning data analytics background to start looking at. Um, quality control parameters for biomanufacturing, you know, that's, there's a, there's a huge opportunity right there. And, and for, like you said, drug discovery, um, but even bringing in, um, organoids or, you know, um, having, you know, you know, the, the, um, on a chip tissues on a chip or organs Mm -hmm. on a chip so that you can use that for drug discovery and also potentially for drug testing. Right. So now maybe you don't have to use animals anymore. You can have a heart on a chip that can at least uh, sufficiently make sure that it's, you know, the drug that you're using is not toxic,
0: um,
1: you know, for your pre-IND studies. And I mean, it's just I think everything that we do, the multidisciplinary piece of that is actually what drives the biggest innovations and breakthroughs and and looking at something from one industry that doesn't necessarily have anything to do with it. But then, oh, let's let's bring that into this industry and see how they convert i mean if you think about um i, I went oh, i i saw recently a drone light show okay mm. um where it it could one day replace fireworks right if they do it right because it's it's a really cool idea but um one of the things i had studied when i was is, was in ai is swarm theory mm. right so they they mimic the way birds and bees swarm to program Um, to program drones and you wouldn't think about that, but that's now animal theory. I mean, agriculture, you know, whatever coming together with technology, you know, biomimicry, a lot of technology comes out of nature. And so I think that if you're sitting in a, in a room with a bunch of engineers um, I actually had an argument with the dean of engineering at one point. I'm like, you know, you'll, you'll, there's probably some good creativity there, but if you start to bring in other disciplines, you're going to come up with a better solution. And he, he didn't necessarily like that um, statement, but it's true, right? You, you bring in people that have different experiences, different thought processes, um, and different perspectives. That's where real innovation comes from.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yep. Actually, so you you mentioned okay. So we we mentioned regenerative medicine uh, and, and 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 organs. We about organoids, organs on a chip, and then um, you know also mentioned some of uh, potential things that are happening on the the stem cell food front. Any other interesting or slash weird? proposals that you've gotten i mean I, obviously the ones that you can talk i mean i always joke around when I, i've done several shows uh with the uh the stem cell meat folks and, and stem cell fish yeah. and all that and i always i always tell my kids like who i'm talking to and they always ask you know can they make me giant squid or you know can they make me a, a gorilla burger or something like that but can they, do you get any weird requests and you just have to say no thanks but we're, <laughs> this is not for us uh, anything <laughs> anything along those lines that, uh fun little fact or so about. I,
1: I'm trying to think, cause I think we did have one. It was like, yeah, I don't want to be involved in that. I can't remember exactly what it was. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, some of it is, it's, it can be, I mean, there is an ethical piece of this too, sure. right? And, um, you know, you, you start to look at even with meat. Yeah. Okay. So let's let's use meat as an example. Now it's going to be a long time before meat replaces actual, you know, yeah. farms and, but it's a real threat. At some point to really change, you know, you you're gonna put a bunch of farmers out. So are they gonna fight it? You're damn right, they're gonna fight yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I know that there's, you know, we're working with uh, somebody who's redoing lips. Okay.
0: Um,
1: you know, um, and that's an interesting thing. And and it's so, so soft tissue regeneration. Um, and they're also taking it then to other parts of the body that are similar, um, that have been mutilated in, in Mm -hmm. Africa. Right. Right. How do you talk about that? How do you talk about that? It's a little hard to talk about, but it's a huge opportunity. It's a huge opportunity. Um, you know, but to the extent that everything has an, has a potential of being misused, Mm -hmm. um, and abused. And I think that's where, uh, you know the ethics behind all of this stuff has to come into play. Like you yeah. said, can they make me a giant squid? Can they, you know, can they? Um, well, well, sure. Can you get? Uh, but just because you can doesn't always mean you should. Right.
0: Right. Yeah, I, I, I always find it because um, I, I learned recently, based on, on one of our guests, that you know Merck, the 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 Merck mm-hmm. of Germany, had these folks that were working on this on the stem cell meat, and I was like, wow, because it was. Um, I think America's a pharmaceutical company, of course, but here you go these dual use opportunities. I guess that's another thing you always have to think about when you get into this. You know, uh, there's going to be a limit to how many Army facilities there are at a certain period of time. And, you know, hey, do I plug in, you know, Doris Taylor's hearts here or do I make hamburgers or because <laughs> right. just like any monoclonal antibodies and so forth. I know that was a big fear uh, a couple, you know, a couple decades ago. We don't have enough capacity and well, yeah, we're always running out of capacity, but I, I guess that's another thing you're going to have to really think about uh, as, as this thing. Well, I
1: think uh, that's the, the beauty of the, the team that our technical team that they really thought about how do we make this, you know, kind of as a, this portable thing, right?
0: Um,
1: Because especially tissues, organs, like there's a shelf life on them. I mean, I think Doris now has said that she can keep a heart alive for eight days, Mm. which is actually, you know, exponentially longer than a human heart can be kept viable. Um, But having, you know, we start talking about personalized medicine and having point of care, you know having available now are you going to have a 3D printer where you can print out a heart and you know while somebody's sitting in the office and then do the transplant no probably not it takes a little bit longer for the cells to differentiate and mature and the heart to start beating but might there be an opportunity to 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 replicate this tissue foundry and put it in different places across the country and help i mean that's that's part of what we'd love to see is you know how can we get these things um closer to the point of care uh, you know, so that, and more personalized, I think as we go towards more personalized medicine, I think that's, um, yeah, that's not gonna, I don't think that's going away. I think that's a trend that's still, you know, we've just got to figure out how to do it, how to make it cost-effective and and how to do it in a way that, that it gets through the FDA. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I, I, the FDA was put into, you know, with the idea of protecting the consumer and protecting the patient, um, sometimes it makes it hard to Mm -hmm. innovate and get things and It certainly makes it expensive, Um, you know, but uh, that's where, you know, I don't want to get into all drug costs and the costs of R&D because it's huge. But, you know, I mean, that's, I think, where the U.S., even though we do have the FDA, we also have with our patent system um, a unique uh, incentive for innovation. You know, you get a 17-year monopoly, although drugs take, can take 15 years to get there. So you don't have much left on your patent, but yep. uh, we have a unique opportunity here to really be leaders in this.
0: Yeah, Yep. Indeed. Um, Julie, aside from obviously this amazing portfolio and everything you're doing with, with Army and BioFab, I, I know you're still quite actively involved with the Girl Scouts. And I, I saw some uh, article recently about some major grant or refurbishment of the Girl Scout camp mm-hmm. that you were uh, say a few words about some of some of what's going on there because I, I I I was like the you know to talk about the next generation on the show and, and, and hoping that more of the next generation listens to the show, listens to thought leaders and innovators like yourself because we need that next generation to come along and, and keep doing more of the same thing. But talk a little bit about your, your involvement with the Girl Scouts organization in general. Yeah,
1: oh, well, thank you. That's something I, I love to talk about. So I've been on the board about nine years now. And um, so it's been something, I was the treasurer the last couple of years, but a, a few years ago we identified um, that we... Uh, we really needed to upgrade our camps. You know, girls deserve flushing toilets, and they want flushing toilets. You know, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I mean, it's something so simple. None of our none of our camps have flushing toilets, right? Hmm. Um, you can still be rugged. There's still opportunities to go camping on. You know that that you can dig your own hole and pitch your own tent. But um, but girls, oftentimes, if they especially if they don't have a camping experience with their family, their family's not campers, or they uh, come from two working parents. This is not. You know, outdoors is a great um, leadership training uh, and confidence building venue for, especially for girls. And so, um, so we've been working on this for years, uh, and um, just recently, this um, a couple weeks ago uh, had a celebration. We were able to raise the first. Uh, tranche of money to renovate our camp, and this is the the really the transformational uh, part of the renovation. Where you know it's hard to look at a di- dilapidated, very old and and um, campsite and and vision what it could be in the future. And so now we have we've been able to to, to raise enough money, and we sold another camp property, which was. Uh, always an interesting experience with the Girl Scouts um, and put all that money into this new camp. And this will be kind of where we'll start to do all the unsexy utilities and, you know, and and things like that, get water, you know, so you can have a flushing toilet. Um, It's not it's not as this, that's an expensive, but not sexy part of it. But now we'll start to have cabins that you can see that you can start to envision what this will look like for the girls so that then we can raise the second half of the, of the funding. We need to build out, you know, a ropes course for the girls or, you know, a a waterfront. Um, We actually are on the water in Annapolis. And so there's opportunities for, you know, water activities and swimming and canoeing and sailing. And so it's, but it builds confidence In these girls, and that's what we need is confident um, leadership training for the next generation. And if you look at, um, there's been articles about, you know, I think every female astronaut has been a Girl Scout. I think, Mm. you know, and how many, um, you know, women in Congress were Girl Scouts. Um, And you know, every time I read the Girl Scout Law and Promise and talk about building girls of confidence and courage and 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 leaders. I just get recommitted to why this is a great organization to work with. And um, in, you know, you want something done, give it to a busy person. I, you know, when I was approached about being the board chair, coming on as board chair for the next two, two years, it was also when I was starting my new job at army. And I'm like, I don't want to do, you know, a half-assed job. I want to be able to get in. And and so I I took a month to think about it and, and get into my new job and make sure that I could balance the two because Um, I don't, I don't want to do anything half-assed. I want to give it my all. And um, my, I'm a huge fan of our CEO and, and, you know, I really want to support her and I, I'm just excited about the mission and I decided that I'll figure it out. Figure it out. It's worth it. I want to help make geek chic i want to be uh you know i want to be i want to help girls understand that technology is a great way to change the world and that's what a lot of them want to do they like want to make a difference they want to change the world and technology is an ideal vehicle it's not the only vehicle but it's an ideal vehicle for that
0: absolutely truly anything um anything else sort of Hot coming up for the rest of 2022 as we get into 2023 in terms of conferences uh, that you're going to be presenting at, talks you're going to be giving, places that uh, we can see you, meet you possibly, anything that I missed that's coming up, please take the floor.
1: Yeah, no. Um, So, you know, we're a big sponsor of our Advanced Therapies Week, Facilitate, with a PH. Um, And I'll be leading a panel there on um, funding for, you know, these types of startups. So bringing together, you know, uh, companies that have raised funding, entrepreneurs and investors to talk about what does that landscape look like. Uh, In a couple of weeks, we have our Meeting in the Yard coming up, which is our, we do this twice a year, where we bring in members and non-members to explore different things about the tissue engineering workspace. And with the launch of the BioFab Startup Lab, we're also gonna be putting together a BioFab Investment Summit coming up next year. We don't have a date for that yet, but, you know there's there's different we just came back from meeting on the mesa which is a cell and gene therapy type conference mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it's a great conference for us uh we we've met a lot of our members that way and a lot of our partners that way um but you know it is still focused on cell and gene and and so we want to build on that yep. um to bring about this tissue engineering um you know cells tissues and organs and and support and enabling technologies you know the the sensors and the bioreactors so yeah, so there's a lot of exciting things going on. We'll be taking applications for our first cohort of of startups that want to come through the BioFab Startup Lab and uh, recruiting service providers and entrepreneurs and residents and mentors. Uh, so, oh, and I'm working on another grant application for the National Science Foundation because you know why not? Um, because we're not done yeah. yet. You know, yeah. we're not done yet. We're not Probably there good. yet. We we there's more to be done here. Um, to build an industry is not a, a, a small undertaking, but again, if it was easy, anybody could do it
0: and I'd be bored. <laughs> well, I'm sure glad that you are doing it because it, uh, it clearly is a, uh, a major undertaking that is an, as you said, in your, uh, in your bio, you're certified at getting shit done. And you clearly, uh, this is an area that's, um, in terms of its advanced nature, in terms of its uh convergent nature is something that uh really falls right into your uh, basket of <laughs> uh of leadership. So I'm 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 glad you're doing it. And well, uh, well
1: well thank you. I think you know one of the message and I give this to I, I speak at a lot of universities and and to you know the Girl Scouts, it's like, um I never would have seen this coming in my you know, if I had thought back 20 years ago and said, where am I going to be in 20 years? No way would I have <laughs> picked regenerative medicine or, you know, even biotech. Right. Um, but I also didn't know that I would have wanted to work at the White House, you know, or, or work in um, as a government appointee or and I know for sure I didn't think I wanted to be in academia. Um, in fact, I said that when I was leaving the administration, I said, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm pretty sure it's not academia. Bing, where did I go? University of Maryland. <laughs> um, but it was a great learning experience. And I think it's, it's about following the thread and, you know, it all does. I, my career has not certainly been a straight line, you know, yeah. it's been, uh, I call it the kind of the twisty river, um, winding river, but it all makes complete sense in hindsight. And, um, you know, it's just exciting to be able to work with somebody like Dean Kamen. I mean, yeah. you want to talk about off the charts, brilliant and passionate and smart, just sitting in a room and watching his brain work is awe-inspiring, to be honest with you. And he is the real deal with respect to, he is mission focused. He's passionate. He's dogged in his pursuit of impact. And... um that's fun to be a part of the, they call it the Decaverse, the Dean Mm -hmm. Cayman universe. It's just, um, I was, I was actually talking to uh, my younger brother uh, a couple of weeks ago and we somehow came up and um, he, he said he felt like he was always the smartest person in the room. And I said, well, then you're in the wrong room. (laughs) I said, if I am the smartest person in the room, I know that I'm in the wrong room and Mm. that's the way you grow. And um, I just, I love learning, you know, I think it's a lifetime pursuit if, if, you know, growing and learning, and there's always something to grow and learn and, and give back and to kind of, you know, really use the skills and talents that you're given and the, the opportunities to, to make the world a better place.
0: Awesome story. Really awesome story. Um, (laughs) For everybody uh, that is going to be listening to uh, this particular episode of our show uh, across the various podcast networks or watching on the YouTube channel, again, you've been listening to Julie Lenzer, Chief Innovation Officer, Advanced Regenerative Medicine Institute, BioFab USA, uh, Unleashing High-Tech Innovation to Disrupt Industry save lives and ultimately make this world a better place. Um, Julie, I want to thank you for taking the the time out of your schedule to come talk to us for a little while about these topics. Obviously thank you for everything you're doing there at Army and Biofab. And uh, as we like to say on our show, uh, thanks for helping you create a better tomorrow for everybody out there uh, doing what you're doing. It's a really very inspiring story.
1: Well thank you very much. It's an honor and a privilege to be able to give back to give and and help help make change, move change.
0: Absolutely. Good seeing you.